Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. We are continuing our series, The Will of God. The will of God, and this is actually our last, uh, our last message of the series, and uh, I feel like it's been really interesting. We've been learning a lot about unpacking the idea and perception of what the will of God is, and I think that we've been finding that it's uh, actually a lot more simpler than we realize. A lot of us go through our entire lives questioning and wondering, what is God's will for my life? What's what's my purpose? We've been finding out that it's a lot, uh, a lot more simple. And let me preface today's message by telling you that I usually have two, two cups of coffee every morning, uh, if not an espresso. And I drink my coffee black for anyone that is wondering. And today, I did not, not only did I not have my second cup of coffee, but I did not finish my first cup. It just, you know, bizarre circumstances sometimes, you know, you're trying to rush with your kids. And so I just want to let y'all know that that's the reality. And so if I seem uh, like I have more bags under my eyes than normal, if I seem more lethargic, um, I want y'all just chill out and bear with me. And some of y'all might be thinking, Homer, two, two cups of coffee, that's not, that doesn't sound very healthy every morning. And I want to say two things. One, you don't know what you're talking about. Two, I don't care. It, I, I, I'm, I'm not doing cocaine anymore. I can drink freaking coffee, okay? <laughs> I'm doing a good job. So uh, let's go ahead and get started with that. <laughs> Just want to break the ice, okay? Um, so let's get started. I wanted to, uh, today we're going to be talking about learning God's will. Learning God's will for your life. And I want to share this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who held a wedding feast for his son, and he sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened cattle are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their separate ways. One to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized his slaves and treated them abusively and then killed them. Now the king was angry and he sent his armies and destroyed those who murdered, uh, those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to the slaves, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main roads and invite whomever you find there to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. It's like a lot of us, right? And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Tie his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
Um, I love how in that story, he seems so nice at the beginning, like, hey, friend, how come, how'd you get in here without, like, go tie him up and throw him out back. <laughs> it's like, like, it's changed real quick. But it's, it's this, uh, this really extreme parable that Jesus shows. And he says, this last verse where it says, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, and few, but few are chosen. I want us to really unpack that idea today. And it gives this impression in this story that God, God almost throws out this net of invitation. All in, are invited. All are invited. All are invited. Good and bad alike. And then it gives this, this, this moment where someone showed up not dressed in, in wedding clothes. And I want us to really get a glance of what that looks like. Um, everyone was invited to something special. And so something exclusive was made inclusive. Everyone was invited. But it was still a special event that this guy in the story, again, this is a story. He wasn't really, this didn't really happen. And this guy in the story treated something that was special, something that should have been revered as something more than ordinary. Okay? And, and it's almost like a, the king... He extended generosity, this, this, uh, this generosity of inviting everyone, and then to have someone almost like, in a sense, spit in your face by not treating it special. That was the cause of that kind of reaction. It wasn't just like, what's the big deal? It was actually uh, really insulting for this guy to have done that. And so, unpacking this more, this, this, last, this last verse where it says, many are called, but few are chosen, I want us to use that to get the grasp of the will of God in our lives. And I want us to start by the day, <clears throat> the day-to-day -day will of God. The day-to-day -day will of God. God's calling is as simple as the way you live your life. God's calling is as simple as the way you live your life. Many of us are often looking for a grand design or uh, a grand design of single important purpose to fulfill when it comes to figuring out God's will for our lives. A lot of people have this idea that they have this single purpose that they need to discover and find out in order to find their, their life's purpose for, in order to find out God's will. I think even that's why there's so much pressure whenever it comes time for young people graduating high school. It's like, well, what am I going to do now? <laughs> and you feel this pressure that you, there's a single direction that you have to fulfill and you have to make that decision right now and it's going to be the path for the rest of your life. But anyone that's uh, been past that, you realize that you've had like a hundred different jobs. Like you've, you've gone to like so many different paths that that decision moment is actually just your first decision moment. And for some people, it, it wasn't even their first. It was like, oh, I've already, uh, this is my third try. I've already figured out things I like to do. But you realize that there's multiple different jobs that you take, and you learn a little bit of experience from each one, right? I would beckon that it's very similar to our life's purpose, that it's not just one singular thing that we're meant to do, but that our life is actually, uh, we always end up, I think, living a little bit longer than we expect. I never thought I was going to live past 21 Boom, I'm, I made it past that, and I got kids. I have went past beyond what I expected for myself. And 
even when you think about people who are uh, go uh, when they first experience a midlife crisis, it's the that that midlife crisis is this this anxiety that people get and thinking that their life is almost over. Well, their life has really just begun. Anyone that's uh, that is older in years will tell you that they'll look at someone in their forties like you're just a baby, <laughs> and yet you could feel so much older, but when you're past that, you realize how much more to life there is. To think about this, uh, the life expectancy is anywhere around like 70 to 80, right? Depending on uh, uh, different factors. So thinking about being at 40 and that being the middle of your life, being half life and that you still have an entire lifetime to live, that's an incredible thing to think about. Those of you who are... uh, in your 30s to think that you you've just lived over a little over maybe one third of your life that it's our life is so much grander than we think and it's not just this short trip to where we fulfill one calling and it's like now i don't have anything else to do we have so much purpose within us it's so much greater than one single thing and when we are trying to figure out god's will for our lives his will is actually calling us into a specific lifestyle that intertwines with our free will. God's calling, God's will, is a lifestyle that intertwines with your free will. What, I'm, what that means is, we have a choice in how we live, and if you're wondering what is God's will for your life, if you're wondering what is God's purpose for your life, it's, it's the things that we're, uh, it's the simple things of like living as a Christian, living as a believer, of choosing your lifestyle to to honor God. That is God's will for your life. And see how that is a, a simple focus as well as incredible, incredibly uh, liberating. You have so much free will in that. You can honor God in your life in so many different ways. It's not this linear fashion, but so many different things you could do. To think that even just being generous, that is uh, fulfilling God's will in your life. That's so simple. It's not a single thing. It's a lifestyle. And so this passage, it again, it shows very colorfully of how important it is to not only show up to this calling, but to fit the part. Our lifestyle should distinguish between ordinary and special and how we live, how we love people and how we serve God matters. I have a saying in my life that I adopted um, uh, when I was 19 And that is, it's not what you do, but how you do it. It's not what you do, but how you do it. I learned it from this uh, this man that before I married Lauren, I married Lauren when I was 20. So the year before when I was trying to prepare my character, preparing myself as a man, I went around asking uh, a lot of different people. I was reading books. I would like do these little mini interviews asking people about their marriage. And I'll try to pick out what I can learn from them so I could have a, a good marriage myself. And one man, one of the best advice I got, he was recently divorced, and he, was, he, he spent a good amount of time, probably a little more than half an hour talking to me, and, and he was just telling me about how it, what he, pretty much what he had learned in his marriage, that he wanted his wife back, but it was too late. And the biggest thing he told me is that he, he never learned how to appreciate the moments, the moments, the meaningful moments, as well as 
he didn't learn till it was too late that it's not just what you do, but how you do it. And that he could say, he gave an example, I could just get her, say, a diamond ring and put it on the table and say, here you go. And it would mean nothing to her. But if I were to just have gotten her a card, maybe light a candle and made it more special, like a, a, how I did it. And I could have even spent less money on just getting this, but it would have meant so much more to her because it wasn't a, how I did it. It wasn't about what I did, but how I did it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Changed my life. Completely changed my life. I believe that it applies in our Christian walk so well. Because it's not about just being a Christian. It's how we live as Christians. I mean, how many of us has, have met some jerk off as a Christian? <laughs> and they're just, some of the meanest people I've ever met have been Christians. Some of the nicest, mo most loving people have been Christians. But it shouldn't be so extreme, right? It should be a consistent thread. We are called to live distinguished lives that, are, that can be easily seen and separated as or, uh, between ordinary lives. And how we live as Christians matters. How we love people as Christians matters. How we serve God as Christians matters. Y'all feel what I'm saying? It's not just about what we do, but how we do it. Here are three day-to-day -day callings of our faith that I believe are pillars and require us to be intentional in living out how. So first is fellowship with Christ, fellowship with Christ, and unity within the church. I believe those two things go hand in hand. Jesus said all the commandments, all the teachings of the prophets can be summed up into these two. Love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And he said, the second is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of times we think that loving God is most important and loving your neighbor is like, eh. But he says, just as important. Why? Because God loves people so much. He loves your neighbor so much that he's willing to die on the cross for them. All of the love that you have experienced and received from God, God has that same kind of love for your neighbor. And so he wants you to care about what he cares about. So... Fellowship with Christ and unity within the church, they go hand in hand. Let me share this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9-10. through 10. It says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son. Fellowship, that means relationship. Relationship with his Son. Relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just a label. It's not just saying, I am a Christian. It's not what, but how. Living as a relationship with Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there would be no divisions among you and that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. What it's saying is it's giving this portrayal of unity within the church, that there should be no division. I mean, think about how many times have you been in a part of a church that you just couldn't fit in with or that you felt uncomfortable by because of just the, the clicks, the division, the gossip. I mean, it's a horrible feeling to be in a place full of division. Just look at your workplaces. Think about how divisive just our workplaces are. And now that's, now we go to church for that? That's ridiculous. The church is supposed to be a place of fellowship, of closeness, of unity. And it is a calling, a lifestyle that we have neglected in American culture within our churches. We need unity 
within our churches. What does that require? It means that we actually have to care about one another. It means that we actually have to talk to one another, put aside differences and celebrate our differences instead of tolerate them. That we should actually connect and become community with one another. Talk to each other outside of the church. I know, it's bizarre. Second, is striving to live holy and righteous lives. Striving to live holy and righteous lives. Let me share this verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 13 says, Therefore sin is not to reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. Plug, grave top. Alive from the dead. And your, body part, your body's parts are as instruments of righteousness for God. I actually really enjoy this verse because it gives more than just this idea of like, oh, I'm not supposed to be bad. It gives this portrayal that our body parts are instruments. I like that idea because it, it really personifies, um, it personifies what sin really is. Sin causes unrighteousness not only to affect our lives, but to affect others. If you think about, um, think about what sin is, and uh, just nearly every sin is actually a, affects somebody else in some way. Even, even if we were to think about, what about self-harm? Uh, think about this for a second. If you've ever known somebody that has experienced self-harm, or uh, even like just uh, uh, extreme addictions, it, it hurts other people in the family, doesn't it? It, it, it hurts. And so it's not, there's not anything that's just like, oh, well, it only affects me. It doesn't affect anyone else. And so what it's describing is this idea of our, our body being instruments of righteousness instead of unrighteousness. That what we do matters because not only does it affect our own self, our own conscience, our own souls, but it affects the people around us. And so it says, use your body as instruments of righteousness. So this calling to live righteous and holy lives, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, does it? I've been a Christian now for 12 years. My spiritual birthday was January 27th, 2012. It was a Wednesday. And it's been 12 years now. And honestly, if I could be transparent, I'm still not perfect. I know I may have fooled some of you. Especially at, the, but at, when I said that I drank two cups of coffee every day, some of y'all are like, I knew he wasn't perfect. <laughs> he shouldn't be drinking that much caffeine. Um, but the reality is there's, there's people that have been Christian longer than me. Yes. What I'm getting at is nobody is perfect. No one has arrived to perfection. And so whenever you feel like you're not perfect, you feel insecure about this idea of righteousness and holiness do not be mistaken in thinking that you are the only one struggling. No one is perfect. Everyone's, uh, everyone's mess looks different. Everyone's struggle looks different, but we all struggle in different ways. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so that's why it's pursuing this righteous living, pursuing this idea of holiness. And even the term holiness, do y'all know what it means? I, for the longest time, I had no idea what it means. In fact, for the longest time, Y'all know that Bible verse, hallowed be thy name, <laughs> your kingdom come, thy will be done. That's old King James stuff, right? For the longest time, I never even really knew what hallowed meant. Some of y'all are like, I don't think I know what hallowed meant. <laughs> hallowed means holy. 
Boom, I just blew your mind. Did you know that Halloween, holy evening, that's what it means. And y'all thought it was the devil's birthday. But it means holy evening. What I'm getting at is this holiness, what does it mean? It, it simply means a separating. It's distinguished between ordinary and special. That's why olive oil is typically described as, as a personification of holiness because olive, uh, olive oil, any kind of oil, separates. It separates. It, it can, it, even just in water, it separates itself. It's a separation. That's what holiness means. It means set apart. And so when we are called to holiness, it means that we choose to be set apart from the things that are typically uh, celebrated in, in the world. Not the, uh, I mean like sinful world, okay? There's good things celebrated in the world too. But to where it's obviously good. It's obviously good. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So third, talking about God's calling for our life. It, our third is taking hold of the opportunities to fulfill God's purpose and work in this world. In John 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would do, uh, go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that where, whatever you ask for, in the name of the Father, or sorry, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. So this verse is telling us that we as Christians are meant to bear fruit. What does that mean? It means that we do um, the, the good works that we do in this wor- world bear fruit in the sense that it produces a difference. It makes a difference in people's lives. It creates memorable experiences where people look back and like, I remember when this person did this for me and it changed my life. It, it, it may not even have been a big thing. Maybe the life change was the way that they saw people, the way that they saw themselves. I mean, it's incredible. Have y'all, y'all get on TikTok? <laughs> Any of y'all? Uh, no? Yeah, it's horrible. It's evil, right? It, China is using it to steal our information too. But uh, Lauren, she likes TikTok. <laughs> And she'll, she goes all over the place. She'll range from like just watching ridiculous, like stupid stuff that are funny to this one guy that goes around and giving people loyalty tests and getting people to break up all the time, um, which is hilarious. I was like, I feel like I would be good at that. But that she found this one uh, TikToker that goes around just doing like really good deeds. Like go to, uh, like she was showing me the other night, this guy and his challenge was, go to a homeless person and give them $500. And like, he was just doing these random, good, nice things. And uh, it, was so, it was so special to see because there, the, when he was going up to certain people, there are people that people, uh, others often assume oh, they're gonna just use that. They're gonna just use that on drugs. They're not, people that, that, that make reasons not to be generous to just because of the way they look. And you're seeing these people break down, and he says, "What are you going to do with this money?" And they say say things like, um, "I'm going to I'm going to buy a couch because I sleep on the floor." It's like it's stuff like that, and, and the the responses were just so uh, genuine and so good. And you're seeing people just receiving love for the first time in a long time, being like shocked, and, and it's amazing. It was so amazing to see even their hearts before they even knew they were going to get money. He would go up to them and ask, uh, hey, I just was looking for someone to come sit down with me and, uh, while I eat food because I'm lonely. 
and and these completely stranger these complete strangers that were homeless and like yeah I'll go eat with you, uh, but I'm not I'm not hungry. You, uh, but I'll sit with you and talk to you, and they're just sitting across the table while he would go and do that with someone else, and they're like no what are you crazy, and then these people are just genuine, saying yeah I'll sit with you. And, and even when he would first offer them money, nearly every single person was like no, refusing it. People that are so desperate, they, they don't know how to get their next meal, and they're refusing this, this amazing generosity at first step. And I, I find it so, uh, it was so inspiring, and so, like, just good feeling. And it is a, a, a really profound example of what it is to bear fruit, of doing these, like, something good that doesn't give you anything in return. It's like planting seeds of goodness and that you show the love of God in that way. You show a glimpse of, uh, of God's miracle. I mean, think about what it would be for, uh, for some of us in different times of our life. I remember moments where we were like super dead broke, taking care of three uh, foster kids and had two babies of our own. And I was selling my couch to pay for the electricity bill, paying for the rent for the church. And then all of a sudden someone shows up, uh, uh, calls us or texts us saying, hey, um, we want to provide Thanksgiving dinner for y'all. That was a miracle for us. There's one Christmas where uh, some random, random family said, we want to give you $500 for Christmas. You know, those were miracle moments for us. It was answered prayers. And so when you do something good like that for someone else, even, I'm not saying you have to give $500 to someone, but even just $10, $20, more than just the spare change you have in your car, Imagine that kind of generosity, what it really does in someone's heart to where they look at, they're not looking at you, they're looking at you being sent by God. Y'all see what I'm saying? That's what Jesus is talking about when he's saying go and bear fruit. It couldn't even just be a conversation. You know how many times I've talked to a homeless person? I remember one lady in Austin, I just asked her what her name was. She came up to us, uh, you know, with the story, I'm, I need money for the bus, whatever. And I said, well, what's your name? Her name was Janice. And she started crying, breaking down, saying that no one has ever asked her name. Think about what kind of good you could do if you were to just conversate with someone. Think about the reality. There's still people. They are real people. They're disconnected from family, friends. They're totally alone. And what it would mean to them to have a genuine conversation to where someone gave them the same kind of respect that they would give someone else and treat them like a normal human being. And... That doesn't take anything, but stuff like that that can bear fruit. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And now imagine if you start uh, uh, telling them that God loves them and you start just like being, uh, sharing the loving message of God. Think about how profound that will be in people's lives. Let's go on to our next point. We talked about the day-to-day will of God. The day-to-day will of God. You're curious about what your purpose is? We just talked about how our purpose is seen in the day-to-day. How we live matters. That is God's will for your life. Now, let's look at peculiar moments where it's the greater will of God. The greater will of God. God's will can be seen in, uh, in these single moments, single opportunities that supersede our agenda in order to fulfill a greater one. God's will can be single opportunities that supersede our agenda in order to fulfill a greater one. There's this form of God's will 
That is, in peculiar and very important moments that change lives and even parts of history. These are these peculiar moments that we all, it's really the, the moments that we all think we're destined to and we're waiting for, for these ex- exceptional purposes of God. I believe that what prepares us for God's will in these special big moments is in the way that we live out God's will in the day-to-day. When you are faithful with small things, you'll be entrusted with bigger things. When you're faithful with small things, you'll be trusted with bigger things. I want to share a couple of verses. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6-11, through 11, this is Paul talking to Timothy. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying of on hand. Uh, laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join, uh, join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to, to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. The moments of fulfilling opportunities Uh, these opportunity moments of God's will calls for exceptional courage and faith. I really believe that a lot of times when we are uh, people who are really finding passion for God and wanting to do something great for God, I think what is so important is for us to pray for God to prepare our hearts and help us be ready in the small moments, the small moments of opportunity so that we'll be ready for the big ones because It takes exceptional courage and faith to really answer these big call moments of God. Think about just times where you felt like you needed to share Jesus with somebody and you got so nervous and you chickened out of it. It happens to us all. Those moments where you just got chickened out and you got too nervous and you label it like, well, I didn't want to offend them. Think about just, this is a small moment that that took just a little bit of courage but we let timidity and fear get the best of us. Now, if, if we can't overcome those small things, how do we expect to be prepared for the big ones? We have to be faithful with the little to be able to be ready for the big. And we have to throw off fear and accept by faith God's power and ability to do what you know He's calling you to do. That's why I love this verse. And... Where this beginning part where it says, God's not given us a spirit of timidity, the spirit of fear. And then he says, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Love is the motivation. Why would we do this? Because of God's love for us and for people. And then he says, power and a sound mind. What it's saying is, we have to accept by faith that God has given us the power to do what he's asking us to do. See, a lot of times we get insecure because we don't think we got what it takes. We don't have the right things to say. We don't believe in the power that is within us to really do what we feel like we should do. And so we back out. 
but it says empower that we that we have we have to believe that by power that you have what it takes you have the ability and when it says love power and a sound mind another version says and discipline what it means is the the sound mind and discipline to do what you know you need to do even though you don't want to do it does that make sense it takes some willpower it takes some uh it it takes some i'm just thinking my my daughter jules she has amazing willpower she is very strong willed she's intense i i literally just i i feel like she's an uncontrollable animal sometimes and all i can think is that this thing that is difficult for me now i know will be one of her greatest strengths because no one will be able to tell her what to do <laughs> but it takes some willpower to do what we know we ought to do even though we don't want to do it so here are some examples of moments in which people were living out their lives but god called them to an opportunity of extraordinary purpose within his will his calling to them was a moment that superseded their own agendas in order to fulfill a greater one. So I want us to be not mistaken. These are moments in a person's lifetime. This wasn't their whole life, but this was a moment in their lifetime. Their entire life they have free will, and this is a moment of God's sovereignty saying, I want you to do something. And I want us to first look at Jonah. Jonah was called out of his will to give a life-saving message to people that he didn't care for, people that he didn't even like. He, he, after giving the life-saving message to Nineveh, Jonah was angry at God because he wanted God to pour out judgment on Nineveh. He wanted the people to be destroyed. To, and that was why he ran away. Y'all know the story of Jonah and the whale? Jonah and the big fish. The Bible never says it was a whale, let alone a mammal. But the, the whole reason he ran away wasn't just to be disobedient to God, but because he wanted Nineveh to perish. Think about that for a moment. That God called him to love those he hated. And I think it's a funny story to look at whenever you hear like a preaching that says, like, God is a gentleman and will never make you do something you don't want to do. It's like... <laughs> Y'all seen Jonah like that? That guy got thrown in the the ocean and was forced to do it. He's forced to love people he hated. <laughs> I think it's hilarious how three days he's in that fish and then it, the fish finally spits him out. He's praying for three days for God to save his life and for 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 him to still live through this horrible ordeal. And then the fish spit him out at Nineveh. <laughs> like that's. I, I don't know if that's what he anticipated. He's probably just thinking about saving his life, but I think that's hilarious. Like, okay. And then he gets spit out at Nineveh. Find, find your way where you need to go. <laughs> Another example is the prophet Hosea. Hosea was a prophet where God called him and told him to go marry a prostitute and to have children with her. In the whole story, you see this prostitute leaving him to go back to prostitution over and over. But God calls him to love her anyway and to go buy her back over and over. And it is a man that was called to use his romantic life and even his children to display the love of God. The redemptive, relentless love of God. Shoot. That's an amazing love story, isn't it? Probably didn't feel like it when Hosea was called. <laughs> Elijah. 
was called to come face to face with hundreds of his enemies at once to display God's power. He was literally on the run and God called him to go and face all uh, the hundreds of prophets of Baal who literally were looking to kill him, to slaughter him as a pleasing sacrifice to Baal, their, their, their pagan god. And he, God called him to go and face them face to face. He was something terrifying. It was life or death in a brutal way. Prophets in those times, they would be burned alive, sawed in half. They were not treated nicely. And he's like, go and face utter death and see my power move. That is incredible faith, an incredible opportunity for God's power. Ezekiel was called to use his entire life in day-to-day demonstrations of prophecy. There's a moment where Ezekiel was called to lay on his side for months. And then after the, after the months had passed, he was told to lay on his other side. I mean, talk about being bored. <laughs> and it was all to be a demonstration for the people of Israel of the sieges and judgments that would come, come to pass. His life was a demonstration. He was called to something like that. All of the disciples, excluding Judas, who hung himself, but all the disciples, except for John, who was a, uh, left for dead on the island of Patmos, were called to prove the validity of gospel, the gospel message and the, the validity of the resurrection of Christ through death and martyrdom. All of those disciples besides John were killed for their faith. Peter was crucified upside down. James was killed by the sword. I mean, you're talking about uh, one disciple was literally put in an iron bowl, a statue, while they put a fire underneath and they, they baked him alive. I mean, you're talking about incredible, gruesome deaths to where all they had to do was deny the validity of Jesus' resurrection, but they refused. That's a heavy, heavy calling to answer God's will. And when we look at these, these things, I think it makes us take a step back. Like, let me just focus on the day-to-day. <laughs> Maybe I'll wait for the big moments. Let me just focus on the day-to-day. I think I could be generous. To some. <laughs> no, that's actually not that bad now that I think of it. I want us to, to also remember, do not count yourself out in thinking that God wouldn't do something incredible through you. And these are some pretty intense stories but there's other ones too like david his life was pretty good he was he had uh, moments where he needed incredible courage and faith to do god's will it didn't end in uh, utter death or anything there's but i want us to understand that god can use you and that you should not count yourself out from these big moments let me share this verse in esther chapter 4 verse 14 esther was made she was a jewish girl that ended up becoming queen. And when all of the, uh, when Haman made a decree that was able to get a decree passed, I was going to kill all of the Jews. It was up to Esther where she faced life or death to be able to get, uh, to, to um, be able to save her people. And in this moment where she was doubting her ability, this is where it comes in. Her, her uncle, says to her, for if you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. This is one of my favorite verses because 
it, it doesn't necessarily tell you, this is what God has destined for you. But her uncle is like a realist, like, hey, who knows? <laughs> Maybe you're meant to be here for some reason. Maybe everything that you've experienced, all the trauma that you went through, is all pointing to a moment where you can use it. Maybe this is a moment where great change could happen and that you're the perfect person for the job. Why not it be you? And I, we, need to, we need to throw off the insecurity and timidity that we carry with us as Christians. So many of us as Christians think that we are not good enough to be used by God. It's simply not true. That's our insecurity. That, that is us afraid to ask the girl to prom because we're afraid of rejection. That is insecurity. You need to know that you need to separate that and understand that God has displayed everything for you. He's, he's, he's projected everything to you and said, I want to use you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want you. And I have made you. I, it's like when Moses said, God, you can't use me. I don't speak good. And God said, did I not make your mouth? <laughs> God was straight up. Did I not make your mouth? I think I know just as well <laughs> how well you can actually speak, Moses. And so when you think, God, I can't, you, don't take God for a dummy. He knows you and he, he's given you the ability. And whatever you feel like you don't got, God is saying, I'll, I'll fill in the rest. Just do it. Throw off insecurity. These exceptional moments of calling and the heavy weight that comes with answering the call, these are moments in which we are called out of our will. We're not taken against our will. We are called out of our will in order to fulfill God's will. These are big moments when the opportunity calls for it. And so... With all of this, I want us to go into our last point, and that is burdened and comfortable. How many of y'all have ever heard the term that, that we're supposed to be uncomfortable for Christ? Heard stuff like that? I had someone tell me one time that they were not even, that some old church people from their old church told them that they shouldn't come to our church because they feel too comfortable here. I was like, we're just nice. <laughs> we're just nice people. That's it. But there's this, this idea within Christianity, especially within legalistic doctrines, that we are not supposed to be comfortable. We're supposed to be constantly uncomfortable because when, when, you're, comfortable, uh, when you're uncomfortable, that means you're growing. Let me, let me share some thoughts. Following God's will is the only burden that comes with satisfaction and peace. Following God's will is the only burden that comes with satisfaction and peace. And I believe that that calling leaves us burdened to do God's will, to live the life we live, and it, it causes us to feel comfortable. Look at this verse in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. It says, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is important part for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is a big word here is comfortable and my burden is light. 
Now, I want us to break down this verse because Jesus promised this peace and rest to us knowing that we would go through trials and difficult situations. He promised this, this peace, this rest, this comfortability to the disciples. They were freaking killed. <laughs> That's a burden. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is more rest for you. Jesus also said that foxes have dens, birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. He's talking about being homeless, that he doesn't have anywhere comfortable to sleep. But yet he says, following him is comfortable. These are some key points because he still described his calling as a yoke and a weight to bear. But he described it as being light and comfortable leading to rest. And there's a lot of things that we should unpack from this passage to better understand God's will. First, it calls the weary and burdened to come to Jesus to find rest. This weariness and burden, I believe, relates to the realization of this chaos-filled world. Have you, I, I've heard a lot of people, uh, I've, I'm, I've talked to a lot of people about Jesus over the years, and one thing that will come up from time to time is, how could there be a God in a world like this? That's why Jesus came to this world, because it's full of chaos. And I believe that when it's talking about being weary, part of that weariness is a self-awareness of, of this world that is so broken, so full of evil. It is wearisome. Have you not gotten tired out the last couple of years? I mean, I feel like the last couple of years in our world, it's like, what are the jokes? sounds like, well, now my life, uh, my generation is not only lives through pandemic, but World War III. So they're like, what's next? It's like, like almost like atrocity after atrocity the last couple of years. And I think the biggest thing that we take away from it as, as people is that this is just tiring. It's tiring how broken the world is. All the corruption. It's, it's just, it gets weary. I'm just tired of hearing about stuff. I believe that Jesus is saying, those who are weary, you're really tired of how evil this world is. And he calls us to put good in it. And as well as the, a self-awareness of being and feeling lost, aimless or purposeless. So many people struggle with depression just because of feeling a lack of purpose. Saying all you who are weary and burdened. It also includes the burden of sin that we all carry. That burden that each of us carry of knowing what we ought to do, but not doing it. Knowing what we, what we shouldn't do, but doing it anyway. That's all of us carry that burden. And he's saying, those of you who are burdened with that sin and tired of carrying it, come to me. Second, it tells us to take on Jesus' yoke and to learn from him while reminding us that he is gentle and humble. The yoke resembles a weight to carry as well as a submission and surrender to his leading. A yoke is what they would put on oxen that leads them in plowing the fields. It's like a, a, imagine a bridle of a horse controlling them. And he's saying, put on my yoke in, in this form of submission and surrender. And then he says that we learn from Jesus. We learn from his life. We learn from his teaching. We learn from his love. And I think it's very key here that he says to all of these people, learn from me. Learn from Jesus. I think it's very prophetic and perpetual today that we learn most when 
we go to Jesus more than any other podcast, more than any other pastor or priest or whatever, when we go to Jesus ourselves, whether prayer, uh, worship, reading scripture, fasting, whatever, you learn from Jesus the most through that personal connection, through any other kind of outside force. Jesus said, learn from him. And then he reminds us that he is gentle and humble, which really implies that we are going to make mistakes and fall short from time to time. So we shouldn't give up because Jesus reminds us that he's gentle and humble. But instead, we should remember that when he is leading us, he's not that uh, he's not he's not this mean uh, 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 prison guard that's waiting to slam dunk us to hell. Got it? Jesus saying, "I'm gentle. I'm humble." I'm not waiting to damn you. I love you. I'm gentle and I'm humble. Finally, this third part is that in doing this, we will find rest for our souls and we will see that his burden is comfortable and light compared to the world's burden. No matter what, we're going to carry a burden. No matter what, we are going to carry a burden. And it's either the world's burden or God's burden. Jesus described his calling as comfortable. Even though we may be called to uncomfortable moments, his presence and his church are supposed to be sources of comfort. His presence and his church is supposed to be sources of comfort, a place for us to find rest. This kind of surrender and this, uh, this life leads to an inner peace deep within our souls and it's something that is incomparable to anything else which is why his burden to carry is just greater it's a greater burden to carry because it's fulfilling and it's incomparable to the burden of this world it's just whether or not you want a heavenly burden or an earthly burden and that satisfaction and peace are found only in doing god's will in the moments that he calls you that satisfaction and peace only comes when we answer those calling moments. You know, I got into a place a, a while back to where when I feel those nudges of, from God to do something, I, I often try to do it, not because I've, I think uh, like, oh, this will make a difference in somebody's life. I do it just because I don't want to feel the lack of peace from do, not doing it. I would rather just feel peaceful and satisfied in knowing I did what I felt like I was supposed to do. I can rest now. I can sleep tonight. You ever not do something and you have a problem sleeping because you, everything within you is telling you you were supposed to tell them something. You were supposed to give them something. You were supposed to do something. And you feel this angst and this unsettling in your heart. Dude, you, do, you actually just be obedient to God's will in those moments. You feel so much peace and you feel so good. And not only that, you see amazing fruit from it. You see people really have changed lives. And I have found that that kind of satisfaction is incomparable to anything else in the world. You know, I, I, I used to have a saying, well, I still do, it still applies, but I've tried everything else. Before I gave my life to Christ, I tried everything else. And I mean like oh, just about everything else. But when I found Christ, I didn't need anything else. The things that I, that I went to 
to help me try to find a synthetic peace in the world to try to make me feel good for a moment was insatiable, meaning that I would always have to go back for more. But when I found Christ, it was the only thing that could satisfy that quench, that, that thirst, that need that I had. It was the only thing that could really satisfy. So I don't need anything else. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here in this room, and I'm going to ask two things. If you're here, and maybe for the first time you are realizing how much simpler it is, this idea of God's will, how much simpler it is, and especially the part where I talked about having fellowship with Christ, and you realize that you have not had a moment where you've really decided to enter into that fellowship, that relationship with Jesus Christ, and you want to make a decision right now in this moment to put your trust in Him, to follow Him, and to simply become a Christian. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see your hand. So just there to yourself, I want you to just talk to God. And I want you to simply tell Him what's on your heart. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you are genuine and talk to Jesus yourself, acknowledge what he's offered to you through the cross and resurrection, surely you shall start this journey of having relationship with him. It's that simple. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just start talking to him yourself because that's what really matters is that personal connection and relationship with Jesus Christ yourself. Now, while they're doing that, if you're here and you just feel this new calling over you, maybe you're feeling a little passionate or inspired to really live out the day-to-day calling of God's will in your life. You want to be ready in the small moments to be ready for the big moments. You just want to live a, 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 a new surrendered identity in Christ, full of free will, but surrender to him and pursue God's will in your life. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. So God, right now, I pray in this moment that you help these people, that you cause them to have a direct connection to your Holy Spirit right now, that your presence would be upon them, that you confirm the power of God in their heart over their life right now, and that they would feel an inner strength and courage rising up within them to simply do your will in their, in their life, in the day-to-day, and in any special moment you call them to. I pray that you finish what you start in their lives and that you make them stronger in their faith right now. In Jesus' name, amen. With all that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. Before we do, I'm going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you. Have a... Great rest of your day. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.